Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, Natasha. This is it. This is the episode of episodes. Episode 52. Why is it important? <gasps> There's 52 years. <gasps> 52 years in a in a decade? <laughs> There's 52 <laughs> weeks in a year. There is 100% 52 weeks in a year. This is our 52nd episode. It seems weird that you'd celebrate an odd number like that, but it means we've been doing this podcast for one year. We've released 52 episodes. We did have to take a week off because I got COVID, which sucked. And that was your goal. That was that was Bob's goal. Like I just want to do a podcast for one year. If we can do that, Literally. I'll feel good about ourselves. We're going to keep going, though. We kind of like this. We're going to we're going to keep pushing it. We're going to see what happens. We might alter some things, but we've been doing that for the last year anyway. Like things of the first episode does not feel the same as this last episode would be my guess. But aside from that, we are going to be reviewing some games. We are going to be taking a look at Wayfarers of the South Tigris. We're going to give our thoughts on that finally. Uh, we're also going to be reviewing an older game, Kingsburg. And then in our discussion topic, we're actually going to be doing kind of a game. It's something I saw on Board Game Geek, the Facebook group. Um, and it's completing the, say, uh, the phrase, you know you're a board gamer when. So okay. we're going to be doing that. But first, I need to <laughs> I need to talk about something that happened. One of the things we talked about is we wanted to play Woodcraft, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And everyone's just like, well, Bob's going to buy it because it's a Vladimir Suchi game. And I was like, yeah. oh, because everyone's like assuming I'm going to buy this game. Which we should have known that Bob doesn't like to be told what to do. So we should have kept our mouth shut. And then he would have just bought it anyways. But because we yep. opened our mouth, then he's like, well, I'm not going to do that. If you, The fastest way to get me to not do something is to tell me I have to do something. I didn't say you had to do it. I said you were going to do it. Assu <sighs> even that, assuming I'm going to do something, I'm out. Not doing it. Nope. All right. Lesson learned. I keep my mouth shut. Yeah. If you would have just kept quiet, I would have owned that game. I would have bought it the night I saw it on the thing. But you're just like, oh, Bob, you're going to buy it, right? No, you know, whatever. So long story short. I didn't, I'm not buying it. I'm like, I'm out. Like, it's not going to happen. And part of it is because one of our friends who plays, Chris, I've re we've referenced Chris a bunch. He loves Vladimir Sushi games. He, I've sold him Underwater Cities. I basically, Underwater Cities went from Dan to Jeremy to <laughs> me to Chris. That's the rotation of that game. And then I bought Praga. Every time we play it, it's like the same group that we play it with. <laughs> it doesn't matter who owns it. No, it really, at that point, it really doesn't. And uh, so one of the things I said, I was like, uh, and I bought Praga Kaput Regni, also mm -hmm. by Adramir Suchi. And I taught everyone. We played it. We reviewed it. And Chris is like, let me know when you want to sell it, man. And I was like, all right, dude, sounds good. Because he loves Vladimir Suchi. He loves that game. Yeah. I'm like, Chris is going to, we'll let Chris buy Woodcraft. Mm -hmm. And then Chris is like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't want to buy any games. I don't play the games I have. Like, I, you know, just play games with you guys. So uh, a couple game nights ago, we're sitting there at the end of the night and uh, it's towards we're playing a game or something. And I got up to use the bathroom and I went and grabbed it. I was like, hey, Chris, Woodcraft's here. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know. So then we're getting ready to like leave. We're wrapped up with game night. You know, I'm standing there with Jeremy and Chris and we're just staring at the newer games and Woodcraft sitting there. I was like, all right, dude. So when are you going to buy it? He's like, ah, you know, ah, do I ah, do I want to buy it? I don't I don't know. I want to buy it. I'm like, it's here. It's the last copy. And he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to buy it. 
<laughs> so Chris has <laughs> a copy of one. <laughs> I can't wait to play it. I hope he brings it this week. Uh, so he, he, uh, as far as I know, he has read the rules and he's even tried it solo. So he should be good to go to teach it for us. But uh, in some ways, I feel like I've shamed him into buying that game. Well, at least the game has been bought by one of us. It has been purchased. And then, uh, funny enough, Jeremy's just, there's a game, uh, Hamlet, that's sitting on the shelf. And it's a Kickstarter that our local company did. And I've been looking at it for a while. And Jeremy's just like, man, I've heard good things. And he grabs the box and he's looking at it. He's like, oh, I kind of want to play this. <sighs> so then I bought that game. <laughs> <laughs> So Jer- I got you had a hole in your heart from not getting woodcraft. <laughs> That's I had to I had to get that like surge of the like positive affirmation from buying a game. I just needed to get it is what apparently what I needed to do. So whatever, I, I bought that game. I really believe that only one of us needs to be buying these games that come out. We play them so infrequently. We play them with each other. As long as one of us has the game, we can play it. We don't all need to own it. Especially because like for a lot of us, Bob excluded, we only play games with each other. Like I, I do play games with my family, but I play very different style games where you play a lot with your wife. So it makes sense for you to own a lot more heavier style games. But most of us, you know, our families don't play them anyways. But that's a different point. In, in some ways for me, it's, it's, it's cultivating a, my collection of games. You know, that's mm-hmm. in some ways, that's how I feel about it. But yeah, when it comes down to it, there's certain games like, for example, Underwater Cities is a prime example. I sold that to Chris. Chances are very likely the only time I'll ever play that game is with Chris and that like group. Mm-hmm. So do I really need to own it? Probably not. And is it a game my wife would play? Probably. But we have a lot of other games too. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, what's the point of that? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got Woodcraft. I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah. So we're going to play it because <laughs> I got Chris, Chris to buy. <laughs> I didn't get him to buy it. He was thinking about it. I just nudged him a little bit. I was like, mm-hmm. you should get it now. You should get it now. <laughs> yep. So anyway, Chris has uh Chris has it. So hopefully we'll play it we'll play it this upcoming week. But let's how about we get into some games? What do you say? Let's talk about Wayfarers. Let's do this. <gasps> let's let's share share our opinion. Okay. Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Um we you both you know we've this is on our top. 10 list of games of 2020 so you know this is going to be a great review um this is you know we love the games by shem phelps that he did the architects of the west kingdom those are one all three of those games are on our top 100 list so we were really looking forward to this game and it does not disappoint let's talk about it wayfarers of the south tigris it's designed by sj mcdonald and shem phelps the art is my favorite artist of all time the miko and it's published by garfield games this is a worker placement game with some open drafting and set collection, players are setting out from Baghdad in 820 AD to map the land, the lands, waterways, and skies. You're going to earn the majority of your points from collecting these sky cards that give you points for other things you collect, and then by collecting the sets of land and water cards. So it's a worker placement game. So everyone starts out with three dice and two meeples that are all workers. The dice can only be placed in front of you on your personal player board. And certain spots require you to have matching asset symbols associated with that die you want to use. In the beginning of the game, um, the one and six space die have an asset assigned to them, but you can upgrade the spots throughout the game to give your dice a lot more flexibility and, and abilities to move to different spots. Your meeples are used out on the board. Everyone gets a blue and yellow meeple that can be placed in their corresponding spot. But what makes this game unique is that you don't actually get your workers back. 
Under each worker placement spot is a card that your worker goes on. When someone purchases that spot, they then get that meeple that's on there, if there's a meeple on there. The meeple stays with a card, so as the cards get purchased, they slide down. So now that worker spot is free, but the one next to it that didn't have the meeple on it now has a meeple spot, so then that spot is blocked. Another big piece of this game is the journal track. Every time you journal and you meet the requirements, you can move along this track. Each time you move along, you'll get a bonus of some sort. If you're the first one to reach the green worker spot, you get a green worker. They are better because they can be used in any of the worker placement spots. You also get additional die and inspiration cards that you can put over your space cards. They allow you to double that particular card's score. So on your turn, you're going to place a worker, either a die on your player board or a meeple on the board, and you're going to do that action. If you don't like your dice rolls or you spent all your dice, you can rest. That allows you to take off all your dice and re-roll them. If you wait until you used all but one or zero of your dice, then you get a coin and you can also move along the, the journal track. As you collect land and water cards, you are also going to add new dice placement spots that you can go to that do fun and unique things and you're the only one that can go there. It's also worth mentioning you can collect town folk cards that enhance your land and water cards. They often give you bonuses whenever you do a specific action. Okay, so what makes this game so fun and unique is that you're developing your own board as you play that gives you special action spots and special ways of scoring. So maybe you get a Townsfolk card that gives you a coin for every port card you collect. And then you snag the Sky card that gives you a point for every point card. Then you get an Inspiration card, which allows you to double that score. But you need to collect more Sky cards with stars on them. But you can do that now because you're getting extra money each time you buy those port cards. So that allows you to buy more of those Sky cards. So your game is really the way you score points and the actions you get is very individual to how you how you set up your game that turn. I agree. I agree with that. It it has some really interesting choices that you're making throughout the course of the game. I do want to address a couple of things before we get into this review. Number one. Um, I had mentioned in top 22 games, I thought the game was long and Natasha and I argued about it and she said, it's a people problem, not a game problem. I'm here to tell you it is a people problem. It is not a game problem. <laughs> um, yes. I was, I, you, I wouldn't say that I would, I, there's no I winning right. and losing. There's no winning right. and losing. There is. Always. Um, you were um, you were more accurate than I gave you credit for. So, <laughs> thanks. I'll take it. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Okay. That said, um, I think it was because I was cranky of Turing Machine. Honestly, it probably uh, was I because I was, was cranky. Yeah. Yeah. F that game. Anyway. Yes. the The length of play can be long depending on the the people that you have playing it. I think if people have AP, this game could be very long for certain people but at the same time you're also in the driver's seat with how long the game is because it's not a specific number of rounds it's basically the last person to get all the way at the end of the scholar track once you get there you trigger the end of the game so it's really dependent on the players and how quickly they're moving on that track about when you're going to the game's going to end mm -hmm. that said uh one of the things that happened with me specifically when i was playing this game is i was just like come on like take your turns let's go let's go let's go and it occurs to me the reason why I felt that way. And it's and you made a mention that it's because you do such small things on your thing, on your turn. You're only doing maybe like a couple things. You're placing a worker, getting this card, or you're getting that card, or activating a card, and only doing a couple things. You're not doing necessarily a lot. Mm -hmm. 
But what it is, what it boils down to is you want to sequence your turns in a way where, okay, I get this card, which allows me to place this dice, which then will give me access to this card that I want to get and then give me this. So it's like compounding these turns after turns after turns. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that really reminded me of is the amount of anxiety you get when you play Scythe. Like you're mm-hmm. always constantly telling people like, like you're, well, not telling people, but you're always constantly trying to get people to take faster turns so you can take your turn because you have this idea of how you want to place the next four or five turns. Mm-hmm. And I find myself in this game feeling that way because I have an idea of what I want to accomplish over the next handful of turns. You have a plan. And, yes, and I, when you, other people don't have a plan, they sit there and take forever to take their turn. It's frustrating. Yes. And that's the thing is I want to I want to make sure I remember my plan. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, take your turn so I can remember what card I'm supposed to get. And if you if you take the card I'm looking for, am I going to get something else? Mm-hmm. And w- one of the beauties of this game, like you said, is you're the one determining the actions you're going to be able to take. You're the one determining how you're upgrading your thing. It's not like everyone's going to get the same upgrades at the end of the game. My board and my tableau is going to look completely different than yours, Mm -hmm. completely different to Chris's, completely different to Jeremy's. And that's where I think scoring in this game is extremely tight. You're you're collecting sets. Ultimately, that's where a good chunk of your points are going to come from is collecting these sets, because if you have a set of the four land types, you get five cards. If you get multiples of the same one, you can get points. And then you get some end game objectives with those star cards. So you're the one who's in control of how you're going to be generating your points. And I think if you're going to go into this game, you have to think of the plan of what you want to do about acquiring those points. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can just like the last game we played, I hurried the game along and I was the last place because I hadn't comboed my cards enough with each other in order to score those points. Yeah, you can play this whole game and take and take all kinds of actions and not actually earn any points. And that's what I think is so great about this game is finding that path for you. And it's you you can't plan it because it's going to be dependent on the cards that come up. So you have to like see what's out there. You have to, you know, based on the cards you get, now okay, now this card is really good for you, so this this one this means that you should go for these and you just kind of see how it all goes. But going back to the turn structure, turns are quick. You place a worker, you do that action. There might be an immediate bonus you get with it. You do that. It should be quick. But the reason why it feels so slow when you first start playing it is because you have so many options. You start off with three dice and two workers. You don't have to use your workers ever. You could just kind of hold on to them. They kind of do the same thing as dice, except for a little bit differently. So they're good when you're like, okay, you really want to use this dice to do this action, but you need provisions or you need money, or maybe you need to you know, do something else to get this to happen. Those are what those workers are good for. And I think that's really interesting. But you have so many things that you can do that so that it's very overwhelming when you're first learning. There is a lot of different things you can take because you can put a worker out. There's four, basically four worker spots per color of worker. Well, no, there's more than that because every card has it. So then you have certain spots where it'll take all three colors. There's going to be spots where only you can send your blue, only you can send your yellow. And then there's spots where you can only send green. Mm-hmm. And there's spots where, So there's a lot of different spots you can go to. And even on your player board, the initial board you have a bunch of spots where you can put a dice and just do something. You don't Mm -hmm. necessarily need a prerequisite in order to do that thing. So there's so many things to think about. And that's 
And I think that's where that AP comes in is just like, how am I going to generate points with what's out there? I do wonder if there's a little bit of luck involved with how the cards play out because those those sky cards that you get, you can only yep. place those once you've put out a land. But certain cards were going to score points based on having planets. There's one card that if you have the sun and the moon, you're going to score more points. Well, there's only one sun and there's only one moon, and you're not going through that entire deck. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of luck with the way the cards come out. You know, one game I was going for all these port cards and I was like, oh, I really hope I get that inspiration that needs all these port cards because then I could score that and it'd be huge and it didn't come up. So there's definitely some luck with the way that the cards come out, but also you have to kind of make the best of the situation. You don't, you, you, maybe you don't want to go for a sun strategy until you get the sun. You get the sun. Now all of a sudden you can start doing these cool things with the sun, You but you don't want to put all your eggs in the basket of hoping the sun card comes out because it very likely won't. Yeah, because it's really just the one card that has it. You're mostly going to see comets and you're mostly going to see stars. You see a little bit of planets, that kind of thing. There's a lot to think about in this game. And I often find myself either always needing money or always needing provisions, Mm -hmm. never the other. When I'm ready to buy a card, I, I find that I'm in need of money. And when I'm trying to like acquire a land card, I'm in need of provisions, but like, and it's not, I'm low on resources in general. It's when I need provisions, I seem to be low on provisions, but good on money. And when Mm -hmm. I need money, I you know, it's, it's an interesting balance trying to create a somewhat of an engine to continue acquiring these resources, even though they're just the two resources that you're getting, you need those throughout the course of the game. If you want to buy a, buy a card, you need money. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it just, and how are you going to take everything that you see and manipulate it in a way that will score you points? Yeah, I agree. Using those town folks, you know, some of them that give you that extra provision every time you do this action or an extra coin every every time you do that action, you know, that's really how you kind of get that engine going. So you're not spending all of your actions just getting two provisions or just getting two coins, which just feels like such a waste. Yeah. It does. It feels, yeah, it feels like you're wasting your, uh, taking an off turn in a game that you don't, you shouldn't be taking off turns in. I like how you can reset your dice whenever you want. You have to spend a turn doing it. Um, but if you wait till you've used all but one of your dice or all or all but one, then you get a special ability or you get uh, an additional benefit to doing that. So you get that extra coin, you get the extra journal track. If you get a townsfolk person, then you can also get a special ability that way. So you get these benefits. So it's kind of fun because you just want to use your dice. I end up I end up trying to use up my dice more than my workers. A lot of times I don't focus on getting workers because I try to use my dice so that I can re-roll my dice again and move up that journal track and get an extra coin because money is so tight. Coins are so hot. You need you need them to get those sky cards which score you points. So I like the mechanic of the dice. I agree. There's uh, an interesting point, too, is you initially start with three dice and you can unlock up to two more. Mm -hmm. And the way you unlock it is by going up this, you know, the scholar track. But there's different avenues in which you can go. And some of the prerequisites is having, okay, four harbors or whatever. Like you need to have certain these certain icons within your tableau. And there's been times where I found myself being stuck and not being able to move forward 
because I haven't met the prerequisite because I took a route that I was able to go and then now I only have a couple options that I haven't worked on the entire game. Mm-hmm. And I know when Jeremy first taught it, he, the rule book suggested, at least he said this, to focus on moving up the scholar track because it kind of pushes you in a general direction. So everyone started doing that but you. In the very last game we played of it, I pushed it and all the way to the end, technically I didn't trigger it. Well, I did. I was like, all right, we're done. And everyone like started griping. I was like, ah, whatever, I lost anyway. Whatever, you guys, I'll take it back. You guys can, we'll do a couple more turns. And then Jeremy technically ended it. Mm-hmm. But you could have been the first one to end it. Yeah, I wouldn't have won. There was no way. I didn't have enough points built up. But you had barely moved up that track. Mm-hmm. So even though it suggests moving up that track, and you whooped us, if I remember correctly, you had yeah. like 60 some points. Next closest was low 60s, I want to say. You know, I was like in the 50s, I think. And it, it it's not necessary to move up that track and get those extra things. It's literally about what the cards you see and getting the cards to work together. Because mm-hmm. the other thing you can get is what are those cards you can put above your um, end game scoring? In- inspiration cards. Okay. You, so you can get these inspiration cards. You'll look at it and be like, oh, I can accomplish that. But they are so hard to actually get. Yeah, they are hard. They're hard to get. They're easy to like get the card, but to co- uh, complete them and to be able to score them, they're very hard because it's hard to get a lot of any one thing in this game. Yeah. You need to focus on that. You, you, need, to, you need to have a clear cut strategy and take what the game gives you with the cards and focus on making points that way. Even like the easy one. So... Uh, there's one that gives, lets you double your score if you get four star cards. Stars are the most prevalent ones. They're easy to get. But you cannot get a star card um, until you build land underneath it. So you have yep. to build land. Then you can build your star card. But also those star cards are pretty pricey. So you need money. You cannot get enough money in one turn. I mean, you could. You could spend a worker and then spend a dice. Now you've got enough money to buy one card. You know what I mean? Within, I shouldn't say one turn, like one round of you doing your actions. So you have to like make sure, okay, I have to get a way of getting money. I've got to get a way where I can get more provisions because I need provisions in order to put these land tiles out. So you have to get this engine going. So even with something that's easy to get four star sky cards, you have to set yourself up to be able to do that. And that is tricky. The, the game forces you to do a little bit of everything. Yes. It's it's a little bit like paladins like that. Like you need to focus on one thing to get a lot of points, but you cannot just focus on one thing because you'll get stuck. You'll you need to do these other it. things yeah. unless in order to do these other things. You have to end up doing it all. So you really want to do it all, but you need to make sure you're doing it in a way that gets you points. You don't want to randomly just take this poor in this town. No, you need the town that you want that's going to help you. You need the port that's going to help you. You know, you've got, you've got to, because you get a lot of scoring based on these sets that you collect or a complete set of one of each. Yeah. They're one of the things we haven't talked about too, is you, you have a pool of little like asterisk symbols, which is kind of like your influence, I would say. Yeah. They're influence. Yeah. There's three spots on the main board where you can place your influence and they allow you to do something like one of them allows you to basically get a uh, boat icon which allows you to get you know one of the c cards there's one that allows you to manipulate your dice plus or minus one and then there's one that allows you to do extra like journal actions Mm -hmm. and on top of that there are cards that let you take those 
pieces and put them on the cards that are displayed around the board. And anytime a player interacts with that card, for example, putting a worker down, claiming that card for their tableau, anything like that, they have to pay you something. So they either pay you a coin or a provision, but you get something by putting your influence on that card, which I think is an interesting idea. In some ways, it decentivizes people to take a card. So one of the things you did is you were looking specifically for planet cards, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as a planet card came out, you had an action you could do that. You could take one of your influence markers and put it on that card. Well, now if we want to buy that $5 or five coin card, it now costs us five coins and then another resource that we have to give to you. So yeah. it decentivized us to actually grab that card, which gives you an opportunity to pick that card up a little bit later. Yeah, I used it mostly to like make cards more expensive that I wanted so people wouldn't go for it. Right, yeah. But you could also just put it on cards you know people want and hope that you get more money for it or more provisions. It's so tight, like you're like, oh, I'm only one short, please somebody go for my card and give me a provision, you know. I didn't, it didn't work out for me, but I did use it to like kind of hold people off from buying the card I wanted. It locked you. It didn't necessarily lock you into getting the card, mm-hmm. but it, it gave you a, a greater opportunity than up for us trying to like steal it from you. Yeah. When the first game we played, I often put my, my influence on cards that had action spots. I knew people wanted to do with their workers. So there's a couple action spots that people would go to, to upgrade their, um, what their dice can do. So I'd Mm -hmm. often put my influence there. So people would constantly have to give me something in order to put a worker there, Mm -hmm. you know? So it it just kind of worked out. It was an interesting mechanic that I haven't seen before. I, that was probably like my least favorite mechanic of the game. I could take it or leave it. Um, but I, I think it's really about optimizing that. And I think if you use it to your advantage or you can kind of steer clear of the whole thing up to you really. Yeah, it's it's there if you want to do it. I know when the first game we played, I stole a ton of meeples. There's a mechanic where you can remove meeples off the board. And at one point, I had most of them. Mm-hmm. And I was just hoarding onto them so people couldn't use them. Yeah. And I was and only using, yeah, when I was only using them when I needed them. And you don't necessarily ever need your workers. You can just use your dice workers. And then you're resetting them. You know, it depends on how often you want to reset. The, you know, I like in this game, there's no... There's no certain rounds like, you know, a typical worker placement. We place all our workers out. We, you know, do all the abilities. We bring our workers back in. There's none of that. There's no like everyone's kind of resetting their dice whenever they want. Some people I reset often. I use my dice workers more than my meeple workers because I like to reset my dice. But other people were like going a really long time without ever resetting their dice because they were using the meeples so often and doing those special actions. So it really kind of depends on on how you want to play it. It's very uh, fluid. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you opportunities to develop a strategy. Yep. What are you going to rate this game? Um, I'm going to rate it a 9 out of 10. I loved it. I am also going to give it a 9 out of 10. Even even after that one play that was long, that I felt it was long, that first initial play, mm-hmm. um, I agree. It's a, it's a people problem. It's not necessarily. And part of it is to me just wanting to like, let's go. Like, I want to do my next thing. I already know what I'm going to do the next three turns. I just need to, I want to do them. Let's do them. Let's do them. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We should play you and I. Man, that game player. would be fast. It'd be like 20 minutes. I know. It'd be great. <laughs> so yeah, I stand corrected. It's a people problem. My bad. So who's this game for? I would not recommend your first 
um, Shem Phillips game to be this one, I think it's quite heavy. There is a lot of iconography, and yeah. that was what slowed the first game around. Um, slowed the first game down quite a bit was all the different iconography. The nice thing about Shem Phillips is he repeats his iconography, so you're gonna be if you played any of his games before, you're gonna recognize a lot of it. But there's a lot of new ones in this game. The scoring cards were wonky. That is the yes. one complaint I had about this game is like on your main board, you are going to score points for every upgrade tile and townsfolk person that you have every combo of the two. But the way it's way it's portrayed in iconography, it doesn't it doesn't click that way for me. Mm-hmm. So it was just in in like the comments, you have the most comments. This card is not worth four instead of worth being worth three or the, it just the new yeah. iconography wasn't intuitive it we had to look it up in the rule book quite a bit and that and that was all of us having played all of his games before so we were familiar with the iconography he's reusing so for you to come in blind into this game one it's really heavy a lot of different options and it's very iconography heavy and if you're not familiar with a lot of it it's going to take even longer to learn so in that sense i wouldn't recommend it's your first shem phillips game i would recommend starting with any of the west kingdom games first and then kind of working up to this. If 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 you're a little intimidated by learning heavy games, you know, obviously if you like learning heavy games, you'll be fine. But if if it's a, I wouldn't recommend this game for um, people like me who don't like learning super heavy games on their own. I would not pick this up and learn. In fact, it's my game, but I did not learn it. Somebody else did. Somebody <laughs> taught our, it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm thankful for. Now that I'm familiar, once we played that first game, we learned all the iconography. No problem the second game, but there is definitely a learning curve. Yep. Um, but if you like the um, Architects of the West Kingdom, any of those games, um, it's definitely the he- it's heavier than all of them. It's I think Paladins is probably the best comparison. If you love Paladins, you'll love this game, I think. Yeah. I've heard that said before, and I agree with it, but it's a really good really good game if you are if you like heavier worker placement game with a lot of different options it's got beautiful artwork it really works together you can play this whole game and not score any points you know so if you're just like the type of person who just likes to do things and see what happens you'll probably do poorly at this game it might not be your style of game if you're like somebody who likes to come up with a plan and feel good and like accomplish a lot and win you know it's more of a game for you yeah, agreed. All right, that's Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Definitely a big hit for us. Uh, definitely something you should check out if you can get somebody else to teach it to you even better. All right, next up, I want to talk about Kingsburg. Um, specifically, we played the second edition, which came out in 2017. This is di- designed by Andrea Cervicio and Luca Lenico. Art by Mario Barbat, David Corsi, and Roberto Pituru and published by Z-Man Games. In Kingsburg, each player is the governor of a different province in King Tritus' realm, trying to win the king's favor and become the most influential and powerful governor in the realm. In this game, players will be rolling dice and using those dice to acquire resources to build different buildings in the game, all while preparing for the upcoming battle in the winter. Kingsburg is played over the course of five rounds, and each round is broken down into nine phases. The first phase is aid from the king, and the player with the fewest constructed buildings will receive a bonus die used in phase two, which is spring production. Players will roll their pool of dice and use those dice to activate the various characters on the main board to gain resources and other benefits. 
So this game ultimately has three production seasons, spring, summer, and fall. Each one works the exact same way where players are rolling those dice and activating those spots. Players can use these dice however they want. They can use multiple dice or just a single die, but once a spot is taken, no one else can go there. After all players have passed, then each player can build one building on their player board. In Phase 3, the player with the most buildings gets the King's Reward, which is a victory point. Phase 4, Summer Production, followed by the King's Envoy, which gives the player with the least amount of buildings the Envoy Marker. And this allows you to break certain game rules, like you can now go to a spot occupied by another player's dice, or you can build an additional building. Phase 6 is Fall Production. Phase 7 gives players a chance to recruit additional soldiers, which is needed in Phase 8, the battle phase. This is where players will have to defend their province against an unknown enemy. There are five random enemies drawn at the start of game for each of the five rounds the players play. Each round, the monster will become harder and harder to defeat. If you're able to defeat them, you'll gain a reward. If not, you receive a penalty. So to determine how much strength you have, you add up all the soldiers you have recruited throughout that round in phase seven, while adding any strength from buildings that you have built. And finally, one player will roll a die and all players will receive that many extra soldiers that round. After the combat, players will reset their soldiers and move on to the last round, which advances the time marker. After five rounds, the player with the most points wins. I think what makes this game interesting is the production seasons where you place your dice out. Uh, putting them together gets you a better reward, but sometimes you want to take the lower spots to block your opponents from uh, certain spaces that they would want to go. Sure. I thought that hmm, that is the most interesting part of the game for sure. However, I don't think it's as interesting as it should be. That's like literally the whole point of the game. You place your dice out. Are you going to choose to go to the lower spots? Or you're going to choose to go to the higher spots, add up all your dice and get the higher spots. It kind of all evens out because if you go to the high spots with all, what is it, three of your dice, you, you yep. generally get three resources, which is kind of the same if you go to the lower spots. But the lower spots, you're at risk of not getting those spots because somebody else goes there. So the only reason why you'd go to these low spots is just to block somebody else. Sure, that's interesting, but that's kind of not fun. Yeah, this uh, this game... Hmm. I remember playing this game a handful of years ago before the second edition was released. And I remember really enjoying it. And when they came out with the second edition, which added the expansion on added a bunch of modules and stuff like that, I was all in on picking it up because I thought, you know, I really enjoyed the game. Cool. I bought it and it sat unplayed for a long time. So then I finally decided to bust it out. I've been bringing it to game night for several weeks and we we had a chance to play it. Surprisingly enough, we played it the time we played Turning uh, Turning Machine, which I want to talk about because Natasha complained the entire time we were playing this game. She's like, oh, yeah, now I remember why I hated this game. This game's stupid. I never liked the game back when I played it when, you know, years ago when it was pretty popular. It was not my favorite game. But now I think it just hasn't aged well. It, it's a very dated game. I think it was probably OK for its time. You know, it was dice placement, dice worker placement, which was new. There was there was that in Stone Age. I mean, that was about it. But I would much rather play Stone Age or Alien Frontiers that are older like those games or pretty much any new dice worker placement game. So I thought it was fine back in the day. Playing it again now, 
I, I disliked it strongly. And I think it was made worse by the expansion, by changing up those worker placement spots. Every time we have a round, we flip one random over and now it's a different spot. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Well, that's a module that we added just to like switch things up a little bit to make it slightly more creative. Um, no, it was just bad. Yeah, I I was trying to give the game the benefit of the doubt, but it it got to the point where I just wasn't very interested in some of the things because even the dice rolls, you can see what everyone else has. So you could go to a lower spot and you just end up screwing over somebody. Uh, the other main thing is this tension you're supposed to feel with the monsters that you have to defeat in winter. But the thing is they, they're printed on there and they kind of tell you the strength between like, Oh, between three and five. Well, if you roll a six on the, if the one player rolls a six on the die, then I mean, fine. And you don't, you just get the benefit. So there wasn't enough tension around that. It wasn't one of those things where I was constantly like, ah, I need to make sure I recruit people. I need to make sure I recruit people. It just naturally kind of happened. Specifically, when you're building those buildings, they give you strength. A lot of them will give you strength against those things. So I remember really liking this game, and then we played it again, and it just doesn't, for me, hold that test of time. It doesn't provide any sort of tension that I'm looking for. Like The most interesting aspect is that dice, but in some ways... like you naturally want to put everything together because you get a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you screw people over. You can do things with your die. There are times where you end up not using some of your dice. It just needs to be the exact number. It. Yeah. It, it felt like I had a really bad play of it. I, um, on top of not liking the game, I also rolled really poorly. Like, consistently, I had really bad luck with those barbarian, the, the things at the end of the season, like failing those because of just randomness and whatnot but all in all like yes i did the worst but i barely lost like i lost by a really small percentage so i'm like did it even matter at all i don't know that's the other thing i want to bring up is the scoring in this game is everything is known and it happens as you do it so you build a building you get points maybe you get points for the end of the thing but when you complete that last round you already know who won it's not like, okay, end game scoring objectives. Have we accomplished these different things? No. And maybe some of the buildings in the newer, because we played the basic side, you can flip it. And I don't remember if the newer buildings have like end game scoring conditions or anything like that. It didn't keep me engaged the entire time we were playing it, uh, coupled with the ending being somewhat, you know, anticlimactic because you are, because you didn't, you kind of knew who was going to win just based on, how you progress through the entire thing. Like sometimes you made decisions not to build buildings so you can get the king's favor, but then you want to build buildings so you can, you know, or king's aid, and then you want to build buildings to get the king's favor, which is a victory point, but sometimes that matters. Then you want to get the envoy so you could do a couple things. And unfortunately, it just didn't, it didn't stand up to what I remember the game used to be when I played it before. Yeah, I I didn't like it very much originally, but I thought, it's fine. I don't mind playing it. I looked it up. I had rated it at a five. But now with the second edition, with the, the modules that are included in that, was that everything we played included in the second edition? Yes. The Well, we only played the one module. So the other modules I didn't include. And part of it was we were just, we're, we put the game together kind of last minute to play. Okay. So. I think now I would rate it a four. I liked it oh. a little bit less. I'm giving, I'm not going to go that low. I am going to give this game... A five and a half doesn't quite make a six. Um, 
I mean, I would play it again, but it's going to be more one of those things. If I'm going to play it, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be engaged. That's the biggest thing is that you just, if you want me to play this game with you, sure, I'll play it, but don't expect me to be engaged in the game. I'm probably going to be on my phone doing stuff, talking to other people. It's one of those kinds of games for me. Yeah. There's just no tension. There's nothing interesting. It's just, Oh, roll it dice. Let's place it wherever you can. You're really limited. Um, yeah, you can screw over people, but usually the, they have low rolls, so you don't really feel like screwing them over because you kind of feel bad for them. So they just, they, yeah, they just rolled low. Yeah, yeah. You, you just you you know if if the person winning rolled low and you could screw them over, cool. That would be cool. But it's just a not interesting game, and I think it was good for its time. I think it was fine for its time. I think people enjoyed it, but I think at this point it's just dated game. I don't think it's even worth picking up if you can find an old used copy of it. Unless you're, I mean, maybe if you're looking for something simple. Yeah, if you're looking for something simple, you know, give me a call or send me an email. I'll sell you the game. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I, I mean, if you like, if you like rolling dice, collecting some resources, something that's not necessarily a lot of tension, just kind of, you know, f- you know, just kind of carefree. I mean, this might be the game for you, but unfortunately, it just didn't, just didn't stand the test of time. So that is Kingsburg. All right, that's going to wrap up the games this week. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to play another little game called You Know You're a Board Gamer When. All right, welcome back. We are now going to be playing a little game called You Know You're a Board Gamer When. Um, I actually saw this on Board Game Geek know, maybe a month or two ago, and I thought it was a really interesting idea. It's a fill-in-the-blank statement. So yeah, uh, you know you're a board gamer when. What do you got, Natasha? Do you have anything? You played a board game. This is this is what this is the this is the the one thing. There's only just okay. What is it? What is one, your one thing? thing? Yep. Where you played a board game and you had to learn new rules. I think people who are not a board gamers, they've only ever play games that they've already know how to play. That's actually a really interesting one because that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, most people don't buy additional games. It's like the classic games yeah. kind of thing which tie which ties into the one i was one of the ones i was gonna do you know you're a board gamer when you have to explain to people no not like monopoly <laughs> <laughs> i don't like saying that phrase so i don't say that but i what think do you say i say yes but with choices <laughs> or yes <laughs> like monopoly but but more strategy and decision making is what i say i think if you have to learn the new rules to a game you are a board gamer you are welcome into our club full stop so going forward this is just an additional fun list so if you if you don't make these requirements you're still considered a board gamer i want to throw that out there because i don't want to exclude anybody no so every yeah everyone's a board gamer and this is obviously more uh geared towards like teasing or whatever but if you've ever had to learn a new rule set sure yeah if you've ever uh man I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with somebody. They're like, what are you into? I was like, oh, I really like board games. And they're like, oh, like Monopoly? And I'd be like, well, you know, Monopoly, you know, is a kind of an old game. And the there's a lot of modern board games now that offer a lot of strategic, you know, choices and blah, 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 blah. And in my head, I scream, no, not like Monopoly, man. Like, <laughs> But good. <laughs> games that are good. I now know. I do not need to communicate to you further about my hobby of board gaming because you do not necessarily know. But on the flip side is when you get somebody when you're like, yeah, you know, I'm really into board games. And they're like, oh, 
Yeah, we play like uh, Wingspan and like Agricola, like that kind of stuff. And instantly you're, you're like, like, what? Yeah. Okay, hold exactly on. Exactly uh, like that. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm in my element. Okay, okay. What? Don't talk too much. I'm like, Don't talk too much. <laughs> Breathe normal. <laughs> okay, okay. How do I make these people my friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have one. All right. Uh, you know you're a board gamer when you go to boardgamegeek.com. That's what I was kind of talking to Ashley. I'm like, okay, yes. I know she's yep. into board game, but she's not into it at the same level as you. So do you go to boardgamegeek.com and learn about new board games? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're a board gamer. <laughs> and, and the thing, well, she's like, well, I Google the game and that's the first link that pops up. It doesn't matter. That's what I do. She that's ends what it, up like, there, yeah. Yes, you end up in the fact I, I would say if you even know what Board Game Geek is, then you are a board gamer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also, it's th- this this topic came up actually, I was thinking about it a lot more after that interaction with Ashley about how she's like, I'm not a board gamer. And you're like, eh, well, you kind of are a board gamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know you're a board gamer when you have a shelf of shame. Yes. I was going to say that. I was going to say, you know you're a board gamer when you have a game on your shelf still in shrink. No, I, do, I don't. I do not have games in shrink. I, un, I unpack them, bad boys. I love unpacking board games. I love like punching out the, the, the tokens. I like going through the rule book, seeing what each player gets on there to start. So I make a little baggie. So all you have to do is grab all your components in one bag. I enjoy doing so that. So your stuff, shelf so. of shame is fully opened and rules yep. are read. You just haven't played them yet. I'm not I'm gonna stop you right there. Rules are not read, but um I, <laughs> I do not read the rules to every game. Uh I I unbox every game that I buy. That's like one of the first things I do when I get home is I unbox games. I don't do that. I have games on my shelf that are fully in shrink. I'll give you an example. So I bought those exit, that exit game, and then I bought the uh, uh, adventure. The ad- it's like the exit, but the adventure game. Um, I bought I bought both of those. Right, there's no reason for me to open those until I'm ready to play them. Yeah, both of them are opened. Oh, really? I I open both of them. Yeah, because I I need to like I don't know. I need to unbox a game. That's like my one of my favorite things to do is unbox it, a game. Look it, at it the components. Fun. I do remember doing that at Origins with you when you bought a few games. I was like, ooh, can I help you open it up? And you're like, you sure. sure can. Yeah, let's do this. Let's <laughs> punch some bits. Together. I don't, I don't, un, I do not unwrap my games until I'm ready to play them. I don't know why. I just don't get around to doing it. But when you did the, uh, when you did the uh, uh, math trade at Origins, uh-huh. did you get rid of games still in shrink? It's possible. I don't know. But I c- could very well have. Typically, for going forward, I do not buy games unless I've played them. So I might have played somebody else's copy and then now bought the game. And now it sits on my shelf and shrink. I just haven't played my copy of it. So typically, I won't sell those games because I bought them because I know I'll play them or I think I'll play them. But then, of course, if a year goes by and I haven't played them, then I do pass them on. They could very well still be in shrink. So here's a question then for you. Do you consider, would you consider a game? that you have played but not your copy as a game played or is that still on your shelf of shame well shelf let's call it the shelf of opportunity i think that's the the new phrase for it so 
Uh, so I have games I've played and really enjoyed, and I have ended up buying a copy, but I just haven't played my copy. Mm-hmm. Do, would you consider that on your shelf of opportunity? No, I wouldn't. But I would get rid of it if I still haven't played it in a couple years. Because, okay, if I haven't played it or don't have plans of playing my copy, then I don't need to own it anymore, obviously. How long does a game sit before you're like, all right, you're out? It it just See depends. It, until an easy opportunity comes. Until I'm like calling games or, you know, putting them up on math trade or stuff like that. Yeah, I'm getting ready to do a big, big purge, I think. Partly because I... uh I just have, I have a lot. I'm running out of space, so it's time. The longest a game has sat on my shelf is Risk Legacy. That's probably sat on my shelf for five years now, and I haven't played it at all. Um, But I have hope that I'm going to play that with my family still. When I bought it, my kids were too young. Now they're the right age they could play it. So now I've been debating. I'm like, should I push to try to play it with my family, or am I giving up on this dream? But that one I might hold on for a little bit longer. Uh, I would play it with you. I mean, yeah? come on. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You had me at Legacy. I know. Well, you had me you had me at play a game, but uh yeah, I'd be down to play that for sure. Are you kidding me? I would be down Risk Legacy. I haven't played it. I've wanted to, but it, again, it's one of those things that I just I haven't had an you opportunity. You need three to. players, so it, it I could get Max to play it with me, but I need my whole family and getting my whole family to play a game. Would your husband play that with you? Is that one yeah. of the games that he would play? Um he he plays anything we make him play. <laughs> make him play. So we could make Force him play him into it. doing it. Um, but yeah, and he would not. It wouldn't be one that he he he'd be fine if we left him out of it. But That's I can't fair. get. I cannot get. Here's my dilemma, and and those with teenagers will understand, and those without teenagers will be like, "What? That doesn't make any sense." I cannot get my daughter to play a game with me and my son. She'll play a game with me, but not the three of us. She will only play a game with my son if my husband is involved and we do family game night because then it's family night. My husband doesn't like to play games. So in order for him to play a game, we have to plan it in advance and be like, we're going to do family game night on Friday night and you have to play with us. And then he'll commit to it and then he'll play with us. But like if, you know, we're just hanging out and we're like, Hey, you want to play a game? Max is like, yeah, of course I'll play. And then we're like, Parker, you want to play with us? Only if dad plays. And so then we're like, you know, uh, dad you want to play a game with us he's like no I'm, I'm doing something you know but he'll do it if we plan it ahead of time so that's my struggle i have a teenager as well and uh his attitude towards his younger sister has definitely changed once he hit the teen years yes he and there's an there's a definitely an age gap between the two but i remember when uh, my wife was pregnant with our with our daughter Lila, and how excited he was to have a baby sister. And so, to to give you guys reference, um, Zach is my oldest. He's sixteen. Lila's eight. Uh, he's tech. He technically he's my stepson, but I've known him since he was one. And uh, he was so excited to have a, a sibling, and he was mm-hmm. so excited. And he was such a good big brother when she was very little, and then it just kind of he started kind of getting away from it, getting away from it, getting away from it. And like now, old boy just hangs out in his room. I mean, all day, all day, all day, <laughs> er day. I mean, and you open that door and you get this waft of stink. And you're like, bro, do you do you use do I don't need to use deodorant. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I showered three days ago. Ooh. What do you mean? 
your it's hair bad. looks your hair looks unkept. I don't know what you're talking about. I use shampoo. There are times where we're like, you gotta leave the door open to let it air out because it's just <laughs> gross in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all my and all the listeners who have teenage kids knows exactly what I'm talking about. And then on top of that, the other thing that drives me crazy is they'll take a shower and like turn that water on as hot as it will get, and they won't turn on that dang fan. It's always <laughs> like I'm about to rewire that thing and connect it just to the light switch. So when they flip the lights, they ha- he has to flip the light switch on in order to turn like, and the fan will just turn on with it. I'm getting so close to doing that, but he's he's gotten better. When I'm like, bro, you got fan, put on a fan. Oh, I just forgot. I just, uh, what? <laughs> hey, you're in the shower. That's a win. I, yeah, I guess yeah. You gotta take those little wins when you can, right? <laughs> So I I just, if it was the three of us, if I could get both my kids to play it, I think, you know, my daughter likes playing games. She's not into games like my son is. My son, I don't know. He's he's 11, so he might just be into hanging out with me. I still can't tell yet. But anyways, I think we went off topic. Yeah. we're Okay. So uh, you know you're a board gamer when you pack for an excursion with other board gamers and you pack... 50 games when you're only going to be there for two hours yes yes you bring every potential game that you might be able to play how many it doesn't even matter i have how many how many board game bags do you have two they're filled how long are you going to be there i don't know four or five hours you can play one game it might not even be yours that's the best part is when you show up to game night consistently with a bag of games and they never get played yeah, that's uh, All right. You know you're a board gamer when you know exactly how many times you've played that board game this past year <laughs> because you track it in the app. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you played it with, how much you scored, who won, you know, all the details. You know you're a board gamer when you've asked somebody new that you're playing with if you can put them into your board game stats track app. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know you're a board gamer when at the end of the game you're like oh what was your score what was your score and then everybody spends like three minutes like in silence like maybe not three minutes 30 seconds in silence like adding all the scores and the one person yeah. that's new who doesn't track their score they're like just sitting there waiting they look at you like you're you guys are off your rockers right now what are you doing mm-hmm. i get that when i play uh like casual gamers when we have like friends over or whatever that aren't necessarily huge gamers They've gotten accustomed to it at this point that I keep track of those kinds of stats. But first, they're like, what are you doing? Like keeping keeping stat of the track. See, see you won. You do that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) It's cool. Why? Like, why? I don't know. Because it's awesome. Because I get to like follow it and then they all make fun of me. I try to do it. Like if I do it with friends, I try to like, you know, quietly do it. Oh, what's your score? Oh, cool. Good job. Yeah. And just know. underneath <laughs> the table, have your phone just like, okay, let's, uh, bro, let's go ahead. And, okay. <laughs> do you, so do you, random with the stats track app, do you track the time? Do you like set the time of how? No, because I always forget to get it going when I start. All right. Fair enough. Neither do I. I see people, a lot of people doing that. And then it'll like give me stats on how long I've played games. I'm like, you guys don't know me. You don't know how long I've played these games. Because all my games are like 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Get out of here. No, they'll be like, you played Sleeping Gods for 12 hours. You Listen, 
you don't know how long I played that game for. You don't. Yeah, you don't, know you I'm don't a fast player. Me. Yeah, you don't. T- you don't tell me what I did. We've established that I do not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish I could because I think it would be interesting to see how much time I spend on it, but I do not track it. I assume they just do like a uh uh based on what the game like four players is 25 minutes per player, it probably took you this long. Would be Maybe. my guess on how they do it. I don't yeah, I don't know I how to come up with that. that. All right. You know you're a board gamer when you know certain styles of games. Like when you use words like Worker placement, engine building, deck builder, style, area control. Like if you know like the style of board game it is, you're a board gamer. The terms as it were. Terms. Yeah. There's the terms like the terms of the board games and then there's all kinds of terms that we use within, you know, describing games and Well, we have a whole episode that we did board game jargon. Mm -hmm. So if you if you don't know what we're talking about, we have an episode for you. You can go back and look at it. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. If you're new to board gaming, it's definitely one to go back. Listen to that one and our casual top 10 games for casual gamers. Those would be two great ones to listen to. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. You know, you're a board gamer when you buy a gift for the family during Christmas time. (laughs) There's a board game, but it's not actually for the family. It's a game that you wanted to get specifically. (laughs) And you okay, justify it by that. justify it by saying it's for the family, like, like every year, hundred percent. This is well, yeah, this is for all of us. Is that they will like the game and it's now their game, but I'm getting called out on that now. <laughs> like my should. son loves logic games and puzzle games, so I bought him a bunch that we can play together. <laughs> What'd you buy him? Out of curiosity, what game? I bought Box One, the one that Neil Patrick Harris did. I oh, we yeah, haven't played yeah, yeah. yet. I'm yeah. excited to talk about it when we do play it. I'm curious how that went. I, I've heard some interesting things. So I bought him all the holiday hijinks games. Those are the escape rooms from Grain Gamers Guild. They're really good. We've started one of those. Um, and then I bought him Turing Machine. Turing Machine, he did not grasp that one. I still think he'll like it as he plays it more. Um, but he's like, Mom, did you buy that for you? And I was like, no, I thought you'd really like it. But I also wanted it. <laughs> I don't like it. So maybe. Classic is when you buy a board game for yourself and wrap it and be like, oh, look what Santa got me. (laughs) (laughs) At least. Okay. Okay. If you're going to do this, it's fine to do this. But you need to put your name on the box and not your kids' name and say, this game's for you. No, no, no. It's for you. You can like pretend that Santa got it for you all you want, but it needs to be your name and not your kids' name. Last yeah, don't time. fall into don't fall into that trap cuz I that's the thing is I've uh, uh my 16-year-old Zach, he's not huge into board games and that's fine, but I'm I keep trying. You know, I'm I'm trying to I think I can find eventually a game that I think he'll like and be mm-hmm. able to play, you know. And uh but I'm not I'm also not going to specifically purchase a game that I'm thinking about I want and that he might like and just give it to him and be like, oh yeah, here's a game for you or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's just, uh, it's not not a thing. Not, only it's game... not a gift to him. No. You, you should buy it in hopes that he would like and play it, but you shouldn't, that shouldn't be his birthday present. Right. Agreed. And uh, we bought like the last game, I think we bought him for something. I don't remember if it was his birthday or if it was for Christmas. We got him Stupid Deaths. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. this game or whatever but like you basically read how a person dies and you have to say is it true or is it false it's a it's a 
it's not a very in-depth game like if there's you just guess and see what happens and it's more about reading what happens but he um got really inch into horrible histories and it's i don't know if you've seen that show at all but it's basically uh Mm -hmm. shows like it's the perfect young like teenage boy like 12 13 boy show where they'll talk about oh you know you know king francis died from pooping himself or you know he when he died you know he farted so loud that it you know whatever like it's that that kind of show hilarious yeah it's like a he and he loved it he loved it so then when he saw that game he was like i really want this game so then ashley and i got it for him and we played it once and we just gave it to him like it's i'm not even including it in the collection like <laughs> it's, it's his game he can do with it as he pleases but it's, it's something he enjoys it's not yeah it's his thing yeah that's awesome you know you're a board gamer when you're replacing the lid of a box and you check the bottom of the box to make sure they're both aligned correctly okay i don't do that <laughs> i know I you don't you're just <laughs> particular i'm not the only one who does it people, jeremy does so it like, a bunch of people do that face all their games the same way you know so they're on the shelf like they're all facing the same direction like the words and stuff people like that yes i know you don't do that and i think one of the funniest interactions we had is we were playing uh what's the on let's make a bus route but the yellow version what do they call that get on board get on board uh we so we played a game of get on board and natasha and i were feuding about you know keeping your games in pristine condition and she knows that like i like to keep my games like sleeved and in good condition she's just like ah whatever just throw it all in the box so we were wrapping up and i was like how do you want to do this she's like i don't care just throw it all in the box i was like okay so i grabbed the box and i literally took all the components and just like raked them off the table into the box closed the lid threw it at her and be like there you go and jeremy was not having it he's like no 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 He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, Natasha said to. Let's play the next game. And he's like, no. And he he had to open it up. I was like, I was like okay. And I take the box and set it in my bag. Jeremy, no, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. Jeremy <laughs> took it out of my hand and was like, let me fix this for you. Yeah, I can't. Like, he just, it just like, oh, I couldn't do it. And what's well, funny is, like, they're like, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, yeah, I can't. It's not my game. Like, I don't care if she does. That's how she wants me to pack it up. He's like, no. Not, I do pack dog. my games nicely so that they're they're nice when I open them back up. But whether the box cover is upside down, it doesn't matter. And the pieces, like, I pack it up in a way that it's easy to set it up. Okay, okay, here you go. You know you're a board gamer when you have a particular way of packing up your games. Yes, yes, agreed. I don't, I'm not as picky as Bob, but I do like to pack my game up in a way that when I open it up to play the next game, it's easy to set up. So if all of the resources are going to be in one generic pile, then all my resources are going to go in one bag. But if I need them all sorted for whatever reason, then uh, like Stone Age, you need them sorted because you put them each with each of their sections on the board, then I keep the pieces sorted. So I make it easy to set up. That is important to me. I do not just throw all my components in a box like a barbarian like it just a filthy animal but but if my games were boxes that way i could move on and sleep at night that way i can just set them up later so that's the other thing is i've gotten to the point where i'm more about bagging games than i am 
using inserts. So one of the things like I'm I've gotten so particular about inserts. And a prime example I can think of is Wayfair's Wayfair's insert is hot garbage. I hate that mm-hmm. thing. I like I don't know who decided like this was a good insert. I, I mean somebody did, but they it just save doesn't the money work. and not put an insert in at all. Give me more bags. Honestly, like, you know, mm-hmm. you're a board gamer when you have a, a stash of baggies just mm-hmm. in a little cubby somewhere or you can't bring them to game night. So you have them with you at all times. Mm-hmm. So you pack up your ba- your games in bags. Don't use inserts. They're awful. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Things fall out of them. OK, one more. All right. What do you got? You know, Last you're a board one. gamer when you have a collection of board game accessories. So things that you need with your board games that are not board games <laughs> to play your board games better <laughs> your trays your chips your all sorts of kinds uh-huh. of stuff yeah there's all kind your quivers your bag yeah. your, your bag of bags yeah your component extra components your upgrade components the bag of bags is like the equivalent of a seamstress having a sewing kit on her at all times <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a yeah. first aid kit for your board games yeah, and maybe it's not first aid. It's not necessarily for first aid stuff, but it's just all accessories that you might need at board game night. Yeah. Like extra, extra sleeves or extra whatever sleeves. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Pens. You need some pens in there. Jeremy always has pens and he always has the nice ones too. He always has those mm-hmm. real nice gel pens that he puts in all his games. Yeah. Well done, Jeremy. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to come back from the Dice Tower Cruise. So we're excited to talk to you about that. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.